accessing it through a QR code. It looks like the one on the screen behind me. It should be printed on a card in front of you. And you can scan your scan it with your smartphone. It'll take you to a place where you can answer a couple questions for us. We can get some information about you. And then our goal would then be to follow up with you and answer any questions that you may have about our ministry. Maybe you're not a first-time guest. Maybe you've been here uh, several times before. Or maybe you have questions about the ministry. You can access um, our information through that same QR code. It'll actually take you to the guest card. And on the guest card, you can actually submit a question to us if there's something we can help you with or if you want more information about a particular area of our ministry you can access it through the very same qr code and so you can use that and uh, we'd be glad to answer those questions for you as pastor west mentioned each january is vision month for us i know that we have turned the calendar over into february um, but we are still looking through our purpose statement we've been taking the last several weeks to uh, study why Grace Baptist Church exists, what it is that we are all about, what is our purpose. And so we have been studying our purpose statement. I'm going to read it for you once again. We've been reading it over the last several weeks now, but Grace Baptist Church exists to make and mature disciples for the glory of God. We spent a couple of weeks talking about the issue of making disciples. We've talked for a couple of weeks about maturing disciples. And last week, we introduced the last phrase that everything that we do here in our ministry, we want to make sure that we do it all for the glory of God. We introduced that last week, and very shortly and briefly, as we looked at some of the plans and ideas that we wanted to implement this coming year. Uh, but today, we're going to study together what does it mean when we talk about doing everything for the glory of God? What does that mean? How does that influence my life? How does that impact the decisions that I make when it comes to not just church attendance or not just church involvement, but how does the glory of God influence and impact my everyday living? And so I would invite you, if you would, to find Psalm 115, and we are going to be studying this psalm for two weeks, today and next Sunday. We're going to be just looking at the first three verses this morning, and we will study the rest of this psalm together um, next week, but we want to begin by looking at the opening verses of Psalm 115. Let me go ahead and read these first three verses for you, and you can read along with me. It says this in verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven he does all that he pleases. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray together before we study what this text has for us today. Father, we thank you so much once again for the privilege of being together to study your word and to think about how scripture applies to us in our day-to-day -day living. God, I pray that this would be a time of personal reflection for each and every one of us. And most importantly, I pray that your Holy Spirit would direct our minds and our thinking and our hearts toward areas in our lives, maybe where we need to change and grow, things that we need to correct in our, in our lives and things that maybe have crept into our lives that has been keeping us away from living faithfully to you and has kept us from doing all that we do for your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would use our time together around your word this morning to impact our lives individually and corporately. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would suggest to you this morning that you can gauge 
a lot about a culture based on the people that they praise and the people that we express unending adoration for. I would make this personal. I would say that you could judge much about your own personal life based on who you consider to be praiseworthy or who you consider worthy of glory. The reality is each and every one of us assign glory to someone or to something. Each and every one of us, you could say it this way, worship something. We worship someone. We worship some particular thing. And in Psalm 115, we are going to learn today and next week that the object of our worship is of tremendous importance. It's of great importance for a couple of reasons. First of all, it reveals the true direction and intention of our hearts. But also what we worship, and we'll talk more about this next week, is remembering this principle. You become like what you worship. Whatever or whoever has influence in your life, who you are holding up as the ultimate person or thing that deserves your glory, you will eventually become like that person or you will eventually become like that thing, that object. Psalm 115 is a psalm that is encouraging us to worship God alone. Why? Well, simply because he is the only one who is worthy of our praise. He is the only one who is worthy of our worship and of our giving, assigning glory to. Answer this question. Answer it honestly. Don't answer it out loud. Answer it in your own heart. If you were to fill in this blank this morning, in my life, all glory, honor, and praise goes to who or what? Be honest with yourself. We know that the Sunday school answer is God. But is it? Or is there something else or someone else that has crept into your life that for the recent past, maybe for a long time, you have been giving glory and praise to something or someone other than God. Now, the question I think that begs answering is, why would we give all praise, adoration, and honor and glory to God? Why would we do that? Well, I hope to answer that the next two weeks. I also hope to help us Understand how we can assign glory to God. So in these first three verses, I'm going to give you right up front the point of the sermon very early on. Here it is. You can assign glory to God because of God's surpassing love, his faithfulness, and his power. All three of those dynamic or characteristics, rather, of God are found in these first three verses. And understanding that Psalm 115 is beginning, it's in a sense addressing a crisis. The crisis is this. The crisis was the glory of God's name. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment that where we are in the Old Testament, understanding that the nation of Israel was a unique group of people that God had called out from all of the other nations, and he had entered into a covenant with them. And this covenant, under this covenant, there were certain stipulations that they were to live under. They were what is called a theocracy, that 
their government, in a sense, was to be God-centered. Their God was their ultimate king, and they were to live in this covenant. They were to obey the commandments of the commandment that God gave them through the nation of Israel, something called the Mosaic Covenant. And in this covenant, in the Mosaic Law, there were certain rules and regulations that they had to keep. The point of that, the point of the Old Testament law was never for somebody to earn their salvation as much as it was to prove and to demonstrate to mankind that they were hopeless without a redeemer. That unless someone was going to sacrifice themselves, which we know to be Christ, for their sin, that they were going to be lost for all of eternity. Well, in the Mosaic law, there is a preamble to the law. You probably have heard it called this, the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, I want you to notice, I'm going to read a few verses for you, but understanding from the beginning of Israel, from its inception, when God called them out from all other nations of the world, they were called to be protectors of God's name. They also were called to protect his name through obedience to him. But as time went on, because of their sin, because of their imperfections, that repeatedly, again and again and again, Israel fell into idolatry, understanding they were surrounded by nations that were worshiping idols. We'll talk far more about that next week. But remembering that the worship of God and the protection of his name was essential to the people of Israel. And listen to these commandments that God gave to the nation of Israel and then repeated for us as New Testament believers, by the way, in the New Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 7, we find these words. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, you probably think you're off the hook for that. You probably don't have a little trinket in your house or in your car that you're going to go home today and worship. However, come back next week for a longer discussion about this. We all assert something, insert something into that question I asked you. Who or what has all of your adoration, praise, and glory? The answer to that question is really your God. Whatever that is whoever that is. And yet God had said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in anything of the earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them for I am the Lord. Let me skip down to verse 7. In verse 7, it says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? Well, the rest of verse 7 tells us, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement. That if I am living in such a way that is taking the name of the Lord in vain... God says to the people of Israel and to us then by application that God will not hold you guiltless. And so that is why when Psalm 115 begins, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Now you might think you're off the hook on this one too. 
You may be thinking to yourself, I don't take the Lord's name in vain. I don't say, oh my, and say God, or I don't say the name Jesus Christ in a derogatory way. I don't take the Lord's name in vain. I would suggest to you that when Exodus 20 was given to Moses and Moses was penning the Ten Commandments, God's greatest concern was not that you would say, oh my, and God's name or Jesus Christ in a derogatory way. That is wrong, I would suggest, but I don't think that's his ultimate point. His ultimate point of a person who lives taking the Lord's name in vain is a person who claims to be a follower of Christ or a follower of God and lives otherwise. You're claiming God as my Savior. You're claiming Christ as my Redeemer. And yet you live in absolute categorical rejection of His name and you're serving and pursuing other gods. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. The people of Israel were guilty of that again and again and again. You and I are guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain as well again and again and again. So this psalm opens with that is to be God's glory is to be given to his name. Why? For the sake of his steadfast love and because of his faithfulness. It was because of God's loving care and his faithfulness to the people of Israel. And it's because of God's love for you and his faithfulness to you that all honor and praise and glory and worship be rightfully given to him. We as believers are called to be zealous for the glory of God. In fact, when you think through the foundational truths on which the Reformation was founded... Let me just read them for you. You may not be familiar with all of them, but there were five essential aspects to the Reformation built on these five truths. The first being sola scriptura, that it was by scripture alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And then the final one, solio de gloria, to glory to God alone. That was the heart of the Reformation. It was the heart of true Christianity, that Christianity is about faith in Christ. It is about grace alone. It is about his word. And all of those things point toward the glory of God. Glory be God to your name, not mine. Glory be to the name of God rather than glory to you. Or glory to the person that you worship in your own heart. Or glory to the thing, the object that you worship in your heart. I mentioned this in passing last week, I believe, but I think it begs a little more attention. The word glory that is used in Psalm 115 comes from a Hebrew, Hebrew word, I'll give you the Hebrew word if you're interested, is the word kabod, and it means to glory, to honor, it means splendor, it means dignity, but at its root, the core meaning of this word means it is something to be weighty, the heaviness of something that is to be measured by its value. You probably have heard this idiom in English, we say, you are worth your weight in gold. The picture here is this word was used to describe the remarkable worthiness of a person. This word was used to talk about the weightiness of a person's character. And so when they say, when the psalmist writes that glory, weightiness, 
All essential attention and adoration is to be given to glory, to, to God's glory alone. My question for you is, what has weight in your life above and beyond God? Is there something or someone, if you were to put a scale up here in front of the auditorium and ask yourself, who has more weight in your life, God or someone else? God or something else? To all be the glory means that God outweighs everything and everyone in my life. Notice in verse 2, That the psalmist is not only starting with this sort of crisis that they were trying to protect God's name and make sure that they were bringing glory to the name. Notice in verse 2, why should the nation say, where is their God? Why would the nation say that? Well, understanding the historical setting in which this verse was written. God's name and reputation was at stake among all of the other nations. Well, what did the, the other nations around them have? Well, the pagan nations had idols. In fact, we won't talk about this today. We'll get to it next week. But look down to verse 4. Their idols, the idols of the nations around them, are silver and gold. Kind of like America, right? Our God is gold and silver. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but they can't hear. Noses, but they can't smell. They don't have hands. They don't have feet. They can't move. They can't walk. And the pagan nations would be saying, now where is your God, Israel? We don't see a little piece of rock sitting in some temple somewhere that we can visualize your God. Where is your God? Where is he? Well, God's glory cannot be captured by a physical image. In fact, the pagan nations around Israel may mock them and say, where is your God? We can't see him. We can't touch him. And yet the reality is that physical images can quickly distort the glory of God. That is why, for me personally, I'm very careful about even art that depicts Christ. Because we want to be careful that we don't depict our Savior in a way that we don't begin to worship the image above worshiping God. And so this question of the pagan nations is, where is your God? Well, I love the answer in verse 3. Where is our God? Our God is in heaven. And he does as he pleases. Nation of Israel, where is your God? We don't see a little piece of stone that you have to cart around. We don't see a little piece of metal that you have to pick up and move from one place or the other. Where is your visual visual representation of your God? And the psalmist says the true God of heaven is not found in a physical image because he is in heaven. And the true God, he does whatever he pleases Now, let me remind us of something this morning. God is under no obligation to anyone, and that includes you. God is under no obligation to serve anyone. He is under no obligation to appease anyone. God The true God, the true creator God to this day is in heaven and he does as he pleases. 
God does not owe you anything. God does not answer to you. God is not bound by time or place. And by the way, whoever you assert that name of who you are giving praise and all honor to, I don't know the name that you might insert into that, into that answer, but God is not obligated to that person either. God does not answer to that person e- either. God is not bound by time or place. We are but a moment, but God is forever. God is the Lord of the ages. We are simply a vapor. He is the eternal and the infinite. We are created and finite. He is our magnificent creator. We are simply his workmanship. And so the psalmist is drawing our attention to the fact that we as believers are called to give all glory to the name of God. Well, how do we do that? How do we live in this world each and every day Giving glory to God. Let me challenge you and say this. It begins with us assigning ultimate glory to God in all things. That he surpasses every created thing that you can have. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. That everything under the sun is vanity. It's hebel is the Hebrew word. Hebrew word simply meaning air, wind, dust. It is simply a a wisp of air. That's all this earth offers you. So if you have an object that has become your idol and you are trying to find satisfaction in that idol and that idol, according to Ecclesiastes, is nothing but vapor. It is nothing but a breath of wind. How satisfying is that? If you are starving to death for food, you can eat, suck in, draw in all the air that you want. And guess what? You'll still be hungry. And the things of this world promise us satisfaction. They promise to fill us. They promise to bring the joy that we believe we deserve in this life. And yet we come up empty again and again and again because we are desperately seeking the things of this world. We have to remember a greater glory, that there is someone greater than anything that this world has to offer. Imagine with me very quickly if... We had a bunch of dessert sitting up here on the piano, your favorite one, whatever it is. Yesterday at the Deacon Retreat, their Amber Jones made some fantastic cupcakes. Amen. I eat one sweet thing a week, and I'll tell you what, that cupcake was worth every bite. I had another one sitting on the counter, and it was gone. I'm hoping my children did not take it. Michelle, oh, she, I thought she said she ate it. She said she hit it. Good girl. But imagine your favorite dessert, and it's right there. You probably wouldn't be listening to a blessed thing that I had to say. And imagine trying to walk past it, and man, you're just drawn to it. Oh, I got to eat that. I got to have that. That's so tempting. Now, maybe it's not dessert for you, but whatever your temptation is, take your little idol, the thing that you fall to again and again and again and again, and that temptation is right there. And you say something like this, well, I just can't control it. I mean, it's just something that dominates my life, and I can't help it. What if I asked you to walk by that piano with your favorite temptation right there for your taking. And if you can walk from here to Pastor West without touching that temptation, I'll give you $1,000. 
Think you can make that walk? You absolutely could because you are driven by a greater glory, the glory of $1,000 in cash. What needs to be on the other side of that is God's glory. That whatever temptation comes my way, that's right here, it's so tempting, it's so drawing, but I want God's glory. I don't want to fall for something lesser. I don't want to be drawn away by this temptation that would disobey God or dishonor God because I want to live and keep his name holy and righteous. My greater glory, my greater pursuit is the glory of Almighty God. Do you live that way? Do you live each and every day with the understanding that God is sovereign and that God is all-powerful, that God is the only one who is worthy of our praise and our glory? Do we intentionally assign glory to God, understanding that he is the only one who is worthy of our worship? In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, I alluded to this last week, but the Apostle Paul said it this way, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The most mundane things of life, eating and drinking, we do them for the glory of God. It requires us to shun the gods of this world that we trust in our glorious creator's surpassing love and faithfulness and power. I leave you today with five questions of application. And I would ask you to answer these questions honestly, privately in your own heart. We went through some of this at our deacon retreat yesterday, but I've put them in the form of questions for you to consider today. I'm building this, by the way, by some writings by Jonathan Edwards, the great writer and preacher. Here's five questions for you to ask yourself. Do you truly give glory to God? Question number one, do you possess a growing esteem for Jesus in your life? Is it growing? Is it maturing? Do you seek to esteem, to magnify, to uplift, to glorify the name of Christ in your life above all else? Or are you taking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain by living in such a way that is profoundly inconsistent with Scripture? Number two, do you have and possess an attitude of repentance? Are you someone that is known for the times that you do sin, the times that you do violate Scripture? Are you known as one who readily repents of their sin? And not repentance in this way. Yeah, I did that, but. I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't. That's not repentance. Repentance is simply saying, I have sinned against Almighty God. I have no excuses. I have no place to place the blame for my decisions, but based on my own self, my own heart, my own sinfulness, do you possess an attitude of repentance? I would suggest that repentance is a sign in our hearts and in our lives that we seek to bring glory to the name of God above all else. Number three, do you possess a resolute devotion to Scripture? 
Sola Scriptura, the reformers said. Do we have that kind of resolute devotion to Scripture, as Pastor West said earlier, to learn more about God, to understand Him more fully, and to live in greater and greater obedience to Him? If I glorify God, if I am seeking to bring glory to His name, I have to know Him more intimately, and I know Him more intimately through Scripture. Number four, do you possess a maturing interest and understanding theology, understanding sound doctrine. It's one of the reasons I was excited about Scott having opportunity to teach a basic theology class, just going through the core doctrines of our faith. Do I want to know it better? Do I want to know it more fully? Do I want to understand doctrine and theology in a deeper way? And then perhaps number five is the most probing question, question for us. If you are living in such a way that your goal, your sole goal in life is to bring glory to God and not you, I believe number five is a very pointed question for all of us. Do you have unobservable, not manufactured, not fake, not pressured culturally from your family or people around you, do you have an observable love for God and love for your neighbor. Because if I have in my heart, in my life, the desire to do all that I do for the glory of God, there will be an observable love for him. There will be an observable love for my neighbor that I won't be seeking praise and honor and glory to be ever given to my name or to anything that I do or anything that I say, that everything is to God and to him alone. You know why? Because he is in heaven right now. And he can do as he pleases. And if it has pleased him to give you certain gifts and abilities... Who are you to take credit for that? If God has given you blessings and God has brought you through trials and God has brought you through the different troubles that we all experience in life, who are you to take credit for that? If God does as he pleases, then he created you to be you. You didn't decide that. You didn't select your eye color. You didn't select where to be born. You didn't select the family that you would be born into. God in heaven does as he pleases. And I would suggest to each and every one of us that if we, like the people of Israel, that we are surrounded by pagan idolatry today. It may not look the same as it did in Israel. It may not look the same as it did when the people of Israel were going into the pagan nations around them. But make no mistake about it, we are surrounded by idolatry. And I wonder if people in your little sphere of influence are asking you, where is your God? And you answer, he's in heaven, he does as he pleases. Does your name, Christian, match what God's word says in such a way that they would say, I see God in you? They don't see perfection, but I see a person who reflects through their fruit, through their attitude, 
through their spirit, through their obedience, through how they treat their neighbor, through how they treat their family. I see evidence of God in you to give true, authentic testimony of God's love, God's grace, and God's power. So my friend, you can't assign glory to God simply because of his surpassing love, because of his faithfulness, and because of his power. Everything that we do, say, and think, may it forever be to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to think and to reflect on these verses. Lord, we are all woefully short of perfection. We are all woefully short of the holiness that Pastor West read a little while ago as Isaiah saw you in your perfect holiness. We are far from that. And yet you have called us, you have saved us, you have redeemed us for the purpose of bringing glory to your name. Being men and women that are living in such a way that people would see God in us, that they would see fruitfulness in us that reflects the fruit of the Spirit. They would see a love for God, a love for neighbor in our hearts and in our actions and our words. And Lord, I pray that as we close in just a moment, that if there is someone here this morning that maybe they are yet unsure of their salvation, maybe they are yet unsure about what it means to be a Christian and how to live, and maybe there's some other issue in their heart or life today, I pray, God, that before they leave, they would settle that with you. So we ask now your blessing on our closing moments today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor West is going to lead us in a song. I ask everyone to stand and sing together as Pastor West leads us. Let's end our service today by once again uh, focusing our eyes and our attention not on the things of this world, but on our God who is holy and worthy. Let's reprise this first verse and chorus again, for you are holy. There's none like you in all the earth, in all the earth, oh God, who can compare to you, to you, only you have no beginning, only you could make the skies, couple things. Uh, if, you're guests, if you're a guest this morning, my wife and I will be out in the lobby. We'd like to have an opportunity to just greet you for just a moment. But secondly, as you leave today, if you could help us, um, we do have uh, the funeral home will be coming in in about 20 minutes. If you could help us by, if there's any cups or trash or anything around you, 
If you could be so kind to grab that and take that out with you this afternoon, that would be a huge help to us. So God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. One more moment. Could I have one more second? I'm sorry. Um, Pastor said earlier that it was up to me whether or not we sing happy birthday to my wife. And uh, I didn't want to break up the flow of our worship at that moment, but if it's my call, then yes, we're singing happy birthday to my wife. So uh, this is a little embarrassing, but I actually don't know how to play happy birthday. It's probably something I should have picked up somewhere along the way. But uh, let's sing it together. Happy birthday to my sweet wife. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Julie, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Have a great week. Have a great week.